This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, episode number 83. It's Halloween weekend, or at least it was Halloween weekend, and we do have a video version here. We need to start doing more actual video versions so people can see us, because right now, my name is Peter Parker, and I am joined by Chicken Charlie. How's it going, Charlie? (laughs) Chicken Charlie, sure. Uh, It's just a chicken (laughs) suit, but... No, the day we're recording this is Halloween. I'm sure my voice sounds like garbage through this rubber beak, but uh, this is the stuff we do for entertainment. Uh, I guess. We're not going to sound At like At least this... our own personal entertainment. Yes, we're not going to sound like this the entire episode. I was just hoping we could at least get maybe a small clip of this for the Twitter, have some fun with it. And, uh, <laughs> I'm starting to sweat in this thing, so let's... let's uh... Yeah, and I can't really see and or hear in this, so I, I, guess, I guess we'll take the masks off yeah. at the very least. But we have a pretty good show for you guys today. Of course, we have a really great interview for the second straight week. We were joined by State of Hoppy from the Soda Pod. So that's coming up a little bit later. We talk, of course, Pittsburgh Penguins hockey. We talk a little bit about the Minnesota Wild as well as some basics as far as craft beer is concerned. So stay tuned for that. We also have a lot on tap for Penn's talk. Of course, a little bit of news coming across the wire this week. But then we're also going to talk some Penn's prospect talk and finish it off with our shout-outs and call-outs and our Penn's poll for this week. So let's get started with some Penn's talk here. The Pittsburgh Penguins made a little bit of surprising news earlier in the week. Firing assistant manager, or assistant general manager, I should say, Jason Carmanos. He's been with the Pittsburgh Penguins since 2014. I mean, that isn't as surprising as the fact that he's worked with Jim Rutherford for 21 years now. Ooh, I, that part I didn't and, know. Yeah, he's worked with them since the beginning of in Carolina, so there was no real reasoning either, given which was surprising to me. I mean, other than GMJR saying he's reshuffling his hockey op staff, which is fine, I guess, but that also leaves Jim Rutherford with zero assistant GMs. I don't know, maybe clearing the cabinet to make sure there's no heir apparent to him. Uh, but what did you think about the move? Well, first of all, I'll be honest, it's a name I haven't heard too often. I kind of had to double-check the name because I really didn't know who it was. And didn't a few other names get shipped out, too, that also really didn't? No, there wasn't really any others that got fired. Another couple guys got put into interim positions to fill his role, but not as assistant general manager. Okay, so. that's what it was. There was a lot of deck chair moving, it seemed. But I didn't realize he's been with Rutherford for that long, so that kind of makes it a little different. Um, I saw a lot of people saying this was because Botterill is coming back. That's my theory. Yeah, and that, that one makes the most sense because I think the second he got fired from Buffalo, everyone was like, yeah, he's coming back here. Like, there's no other. It's, that, it's what it seems like, and we're not going to get too deep into the hockey ops and the assistant general manager position for the Pittsburgh Penguins. But at the same time, that's, that's really what my theory is. It's the fact that they were probably looking that they don't want to have more than one assistant general manager right now, just because you're cutting staff everywhere. And realistically, I feel like Rutherford would want somebody like Botterill. So maybe the heir apparent in Jason Botterill, we'll see. I, I mean, if he gets hired, that is definitely why this happened. But if not, you never know what could happen, and they didn't release any information. So 
we're not going to probably get it. But they also made another move, as you mentioned. They hired Trevor Daly back to a front office role. So, I mean, congratulations to Trevor Daly on a great NHL career. The posting of this job was before the posting of his retirement. Yeah, he... I saw that we hired him for front office, and I immediately was like, is he not retired? Isn't he still playing? Like, like I figured it was over for him anyway. But I think at the same time, I'm thinking he could still probably ring it on a team somewhere. What's he? What's this? What's he doing here? And then the NHL posted like two hours later, uh, officially retired Trevor Daly. And I was like, well, the Penguins beat you to the punch. Uh, unless unless he wanted to be a player front office role guy. I mean, it's a pretty good transition, pretty easy transition whenever you find a job before you even retire from the NHL. So it's something that, I mean, he played last year with the absolutely horrid Detroit Red Wings. Yeah. So at that point, he was kind of already retired and playing shinny, wasn't he? Basically, I think someone, I don't know exactly, but wasn't he bad on that team too? Yeah, he, he was not the best. You also have to figure out the fact that, was it 2017, he had that broken leg in the playoffs? Or broken foot, something like that. One of the two. Yeah, one of the two Stanley Cups, he had a broken leg, so maybe just wasn't really the same after that. Who who knows? But he was hired as an NHL and AHL player evaluator for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He will be based in Pittsburgh, so we'll be seeing a lot more of Trevor Daly in the background. And he will be a quote-unquote eye in the sky for the coaching staff. So kind of what Sergei Gonchar was for a couple of years with the Pittsburgh Penguins before he got the bench staff job. And of course we, we know Trevor Daly playing in Pittsburgh from 2015 to 2017 back-to-back Stanley cup champion. And also I, I read somewhere that he's going to be kind of a buffer between the coaching staff and the players. So kind of what the normal assistant coach role is where if a player has you know, he needs to let off some steam. He needs to complain about mm. something. He can go to Trevor Daly and go to somebody who brings that veteran presence, but not necessarily on the roster, which I think is huge because if you're talking about let's get younger, let's get faster, but more importantly, let's get younger, you're also giving up then the experience and the playoff experience and the championship pedigree. I mean, we've already talked about how little amount of players are left on this team from the 2016 and 17 championship runs. So bringing back a guy like Trevor Daly in a front office role, it allows you to get younger and faster on the roster and still bring back that championship pedigree for these guys to learn from in a two-time Stanley Cup champion like Trevor Daly. Yeah, and it's also better as having someone, as you mentioned, be the piece between players and coaches. It's better that that's a peer rather than another coach, another person who's like a coach's age. And I get coaches are getting younger and younger. GMs are getting younger and younger. But you got to figure it's easier to talk to someone who is a couple weeks removed from playing in the NHL as opposed to, this, to someone who's a lifelong coach. Because they're they're, mm-hmm. they may be younger or, or you know slightly older than you, but they don't feel like a peer because they are your boss. But whenever there's someone in there that's been in your shoes and was – in fairly recent fashion, it's a big difference maker, especially if that's their role. So that's a good spot for him. It's a good spot for the team. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him behind a bench one day. Just That's just the feeling I get now. That's just me, though. <laughs> I mean, we 
have been saying all offseason that we fully expect Matt Cullen, now that he's been re retired, to become somebody in the Penguins' front office. Who knows, maybe Matt Cullen didn't want to. Maybe he wanted to just enjoy retirement, and maybe that's when they reached out to Trevor Daly. Like, who knows with all this front office stuff? It's all really just hearsay until it happens because there's not too many rumors when it comes to front office positions, but good for Trevor Daly. It'll be nice to see him hanging around the facilities. It'll be nice to see him in the arena during game days, and we'll keep our eye out. Maybe the Matt Cullen move is, is still coming down the pike, but as for right now, Carmanos is out. There's no assistant general manager to Jim Rutherford, so we'll see if somebody gets hired in that position. And other than that, I say we move on to our Penn's prospect talk. Absolutely, because there's quite a few of them. We have a lot to talk about. There's some of them that aren't playing. There's some of them that are playing. And there's some of them that probably it's better that they don't play because it'll give them a better chance to start in the NHL next season. We're going to start off with Casper Bjorkfist, your favorite guy, Casper the Friendly Ghost, or I guess Casper the Friendly Goal Scorer in this league. He is 23 years old right winger and he already has four goals and five assists in the Finnish league league in only about five games so he's playing pretty good over mm -hmm. there in Finland excuse me he only played six games last year what he got hurt he had a big injury uh, he did have a knee injury I saw that was during practice too which is very unfortunate put him out for the season who knows where he would have been if he had the chance to play all of last year in his first full year in Wilkes-Barre yeah. I mean I don't think we're going to see him in the NHL this season. I don't think there's any shot. Do you? No. Uh, a lot of the guys that um, are top prospects, because of how much Rutherford filled our depth forward situation, we won't, we mm -hmm. probably won't see any forward prospects come up, prospect-wise at least. Maybe yeah. a Gruden makes it, as we'll get to. But with Rodriguez or Sevier or even... Pontus Auberg, maybe, or uh, the last one that I'm forgetting. You're not talking about Jankowski, are you? Because he didn't play in Nashville. No, we, we had another. Oh, Gaudreau. Yes, and with all those guys piling up, we're not going to be reaching prospects this year, I think, even, with, even if injuries pile up. Because, yeah, it's good to have this load of prospects, but when you get down to it, especially our management, who are we going to put in? And not NHL proven or still a growing kid or someone who's played NHL games. Some of them played playoff games and have had big moments. They're going to ease towards the guys that have seen NHL ice before rather than prospects, at least this year, in this very weird year that it's going to be. I feel like that that's the vibe I'm getting. And like I said, it's because we have stacked up our depth forward, NHL-ready depth forward position. So what you're saying is they're they're going to go for the players that have had experience in the NHL. Pretty much. Yeah. And it's very hard for me to take you seriously. Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. It's hard for me to take you seriously with the chicken hand that you're, you're counting on there. Those my talons that you're counting on. The talons. There it is. But no, I, I understand what you're saying. I do think that there's one player on this list. Actually, maybe two players on this list. They could crack the NHL roster at some point next season, mm -hmm. and we'll get to that. But I don't think Casper Bjorkvist is one of them. I think maybe we see him the following season, yeah. depending upon how he plays and how he finishes in Finland, and then how he plays in Wilkes-Barre this year, because he is going to be brought back for be a, Wilkes-Barre. There will be an AHL season. Yeah, that's something else we'll talk about, that there will finally, we know... 
there will be an AHL season, and that's kind of shadowing some news for the NHL as well. Absolutely. And whenever I say we won't see these players, we won't see the forwards. The defenseman's a whole other ballgame. Fair enough. We could see a couple of new defensemen this year. That's all I got on it. <laughs> okay. The next guy, well, the we'll next prospect we want to talk about is one of our newest prospects, and that's Jonathan Gruden, who you mentioned. 20 years old. The kid's a center for the OHL's London Knights. Last season, he put up 66 points in 59 games. I haven't seen much of him. I've only seen a couple of tapes on him, but I would think that that kid gets to stay in the OHL this season. I feel like they would let him play on the London Knights one more year because he is only 20 years old. Let him play for London and then next year bring him up to Wilkes-Barre and see how he plays against the older talent in that way. I mean, the OHL did just announce that they're starting this season February 4th. So I think that's where he ends up playing. And thank God that they're not doing the no checking thing because that would just be an absolute bombshell of an awful decision by the OHL. Wait, that changed? They're allowing body checking. That would be completely... Last I saw, they're allowing body checking because... Otherwise, I would see no reason to have Gruden play in the OHL. I thought, He's not going to... Did I misread the headline for the whole week? I thought it's that they weren't allowing it. Whatever it is, either way, let's just say this. If they are allowing checking, yeah, sure. Let Gruden play for London and let him develop in the OHL. If they're not allowing checking, try like hell to either bring him up or ship him somewhere that will. Send him overseas if you have to. He needs to be able to develop in an actual league, and if the OHL is not going to allow body checking, I'm not going to consider it an actual league this year. That's fair. I mean, I was about to come with the joke of, hey, at least we don't have to worry about him getting hurt. At I least mean, there's a lesser chance. Obviously, there's a chance to get hurt no matter what is happening, mm-hmm. but it's less of a chance if he's not getting hit. But that's a whole different discussion. The OHL not having hitting or checking or whatever he's another guy that we probably won't see this year i didn't realize um he was i thought he was at least a little over 20 he would be going into his overage year then in the ohl wouldn't he yeah okay well at least we know he'd be pretty damn good it really put up some good numbers in the o make him look decent coming in not saying that every overager does that but it's you know a safe assumption that he might might be able to and as far as i remember the london knights right that's the team Mm -hmm. he's on they're still a yep. fairly good team. So we know he'll be getting some good time on a good team. Even if there's not hitting and that's where he plays, at least it's at least it's more playing time than NHLers are scheduled to be getting right now. We still have to do a lot more research on Jonathan Gruden, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, he's only been on the Pittsburgh Penguins team for probably, what, a month since the Matt Murray trade went through? I'd say, yeah. So, There's still a lot to learn about Jonathan Gruden, but the good thing is he is only 20 years old, so we have some time to learn about him. Somebody that's a year younger than him, and that's Nathan Legare. We know a little bit more about him. The right winger, he plays for Drakkar in the QMJHL. So far, two goals and three assists in five games for them, so not an awful start for Nathan Legare. He impressed a lot last year, especially he impressed the Penns Brass last year during training camp. And the preseason games, he showed that he is one of the most lethal shooters in the organization. Mm -hmm. And I think he has more of a chance to make the team after next season, though. I still feel like they look at him as a kid that is young and still needs to develop, especially they need his body to develop a little bit more. So I feel like he's somebody that they're going to leave play in the QMJHL this year. And maybe if that Q season ends, 
they'll pull him up to Wilkes-Barre and let him play some games in the AHL to finish off the season. But I don't think there's any chance that he makes it to the Penguins this upcoming season. But this kid, as of right now, is tracking to be a very good middle six forward for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Second line, if he can continue to improve his skating ability and continue to improve, obviously, his defensive play, which you can say for anybody that plays in the QMJHL needs to improve their defensive play. But for Legare, it's just it's still a lot of development between here and Pittsburgh. So what are your thoughts on him? And, and do you think that he has a chance to make the Penguins at all this season? Not this season. He had a setback last season by way of skating ability and... Uh, defensive play I think he was a minus 24 which Yikes. yeah which yeah it's the Q so a little bit there but minus 24 in any league is not pretty so they're definitely he's a guy they're definitely going to leave down in the queue for this year that's not just that's not saying they should ship him off or anything I think he they want to see what he can do they know he can progress past one down year it just hurts. He just hurt himself a little bit in this in this past season. But even if he wasn't hurting himself by having a down year, he it made it a little harder for him because we got guys like Sam Poulin, who we'll get to in a moment, as well as everyone that I said, everyone that we signed. So who knows exactly what is going on there. But he's got room to develop. He's a guy that they think can still develop into something. He just has to rebound, which shouldn't be super hard. He's he's already doing it a little bit by his numbers um, in the first handful of games, and he's playing already, which is one of those things you should look at. He is already playing. Not like a lot of other guys we can talk about right now. Yeah, and one other guy that's not playing, that's P.O. Joseph. He is currently not on any other team. He played last season entirely with Wilkes-Barre. I think P.O. Joseph, the 21-year-old, has the best chance of any prospect for the Pittsburgh Penguins to make the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause... Probably more of a midseason call-up or injury call-up to me. But realistically, if he comes in and impresses the Pittsburgh Penguins coaches and impresses general manager Jim Rutherford in training camp, you could possibly see him make the team out of camp. Now, he would have to be very, very good for that. Yeah. You'd have to be but better I... than our new guys. Exactly, but I also see that Cody Cece might just be a stopgap until P.O. Joseph is ready to come up this season, if he gets ready to come up this season. I feel like that was something that they figured, after this year, we know P.O. Joseph will be up. Mm -hmm. After this season, he will definitely be with the team. It's a matter of, at what point this year does he make that jump, and that is why they... That is why they signed Cody Cece, in my opinion, to make sure that they had a stopgap between Joseph and the NHL. And that's totally fair. I think what really makes P.O. Joseph so valuable to this team is the fact that they, him and Sam Poulin were brought up to be on the squad for the the bubble games. I can't remember the playing the rounds. taxi squad. Yeah, they were brought up to be part of the professional team. Obviously, it didn't come to that, but the possibility was there. That's a big up for how the organization looks at them because they could have chosen anyone else, anyone else in the organization, anyone else in the minors. It's good that he got that little bump there. 
he's a guy that if we that we could very well see this season. Him and some of the college signings, Cam Lee and Meniscalco, are the two defensemen that we just signed from college. Do we see them this year? Who knows? But Pio Joseph is a guy that, one way or another, I believe will be playing in the NHL this season. That's just the way it is. It, it might not be for long. It might be a handful of games as a replacement. But I totally see him making the NHL roster at some point this season. Unless the season's super short. But those, those that's news we don't have yet. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and I, I stated it earlier, and we both stated it now, that P.O. Joseph will be a part of this team whenever the season ends this year he will be on the team whether that's in the playoffs or if it's not in the playoffs which I highly doubt but you never know you never know what kind of season the Penguins are going to have if it's shortened so we'll, we'll see about that but we have one big prospect to talk about before we run down everybody else that's playing currently but the big prospect that we want to talk about is, is of course the Penguins top prospect and that's Sam Poulan mm-hmm. two goals and an assist in only two games with the Sherbrooke Phoenix of the QMJHL so far, could he surprise and make the roster out of camp or what? Uh, the slide contract makes it really hard. So that's why I say no. Because you can't just toy with him. You can't put him in and then say, all right, you're going to the minors because he has to go all the way back to the queue. And there's no point in burning a year of an ELC for that. So he's going to probably, probably start in the queue again. I mean, he's in the queue now. If the season's not going to start till February, the queue season's going to be pretty much completed by then. It'll still depend. I don't know how all that's going to work. There's a lot of politicking that I guess we don't know the details of yet. If that's the case, I didn't think that part entirely through when thinking about the prospects. But again, there's just so much, so much depth at our forward positions right now that it makes it hard it really does and it hurts his chances not immensely but noticeably something really has to happen he's really got to pull off a hell of a season or there needs to be a plague of injuries happening word choice was appropriate there i'd say the way i see this and i do have a follow-up question after this but the way i see this is sam poulan's currently playing for the Sherbrooke Phoenix of the QMJHL. So he is going to be playing now. When training camp rolls around, do I think the Penguins take him out of the queue to come in for training camp? No. I think they let him play because he's playing in game action down there. I didn't even think of that. And then, maybe towards the end of training camp, see how he's playing. Maybe then you bring him up and instill him into the lineup. I'm not sure how all of this is going to work logistic-wise. Yeah. I'm not sure what the Penguins want to do. There's a lot of options for the Pittsburgh Penguins with Sam Poulan this season. And if you bring him up to training camp, if that is what you decide to do, and he looks anything really a modicum of what he did last year, with all this extra experience of playing this season in the queue, so to the point of whenever the training camp is, maybe you say, hey, do you want to play on a line with Sidney Crosby to start the season? <clears throat> Try that. Then you get to put Kapanen on the third line, which is what apparently a lot of people in Penn's Twitter want to do is put Kapanen on the third line. And then you can bump out Evan Rodriguez at the bottom. You can bump out Colton Sevier if you need to. 
But well, one of those two's already like, bumped out in the season, and we're not even set yet. But yeah, I, I feel like Sam Poulan is funny money for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah. Whenever you want him to come up, I feel like he's going to be a very integral piece. But again, it's weird because you don't want to rush him because then you don't want him to become Daniel Sprong 2.0. That's very true. Very, very, very true. It's He's funny money, yeah, but it's also a very weird situation because we don't know the logistics of how, at least me and you, don't know the logistics of how a new NHL season and bringing up Q players or CHL players, I should say, is going to work. It's possible they don't allow it. Let's be real for a second. It's possible the NHL is like, no one's going to burn a year of an ELC on purpose or even mess with it. You guys can all hold on to your prospects and do with what you please, but they can't come to the NHL. That's also a very real possibility because we we just don't know how anything's going to work yet. But assuming mm. they are able to move them and take them up, again, you mentioned the Qs of season could be ending by the time the NHL season is starting. What could happen with that? Who knows? Does that negate a slide in a contract? It, it's a bunch of politicking we don't know. It's a bunch of lawyer crap that we don't understand. Yeah, it, it that will just have to be explained to us in layman's terms when it all happens. The way I see it is, in my head, Sam Poulin's not making the roster this year. He will be first in line next season, though. Fair enough. I, I still think that there's a way that the Penguins end up putting him on the roster by the time playoffs come around. By the time playoffs come around, too, that's fair. More politicking that we don't know what's going to happen, though. Yeah. I mean, my other question that I had a follow-up on is, are the prospects that are playing right now, do they have a hand up on the other prospects, or are they putting themselves behind the eight ball because they might get tired a little faster? That's a hard one to say because I'm not going to say they're going to tire themselves out. If anything, these guys are ready. They're all ready to leave for the NHL at the in the blink of an eye. That's true. Because that's where they You don't need be. a training camp. They've already been playing. Exactly. So they're all ready to jump whenever. And obviously they're all on loan, and that's how that's going to work. Or not all on loan, I shouldn't mm-hmm. say that. The Europe, the guys in Europe are on loan because there is a, quite a few of them. Yeah, we have four other players that we're going to mention that are on loan. And if, if you want to try to find a stream and watch some Penguins prospects, Go for there's it. a couple of them over in Europe. Go for it. It's also it's live hockey. It is hockey that matters. You're not watching replays. Yeah, so there's, there's I believe, four. Yeah, there's four more players that are playing right now, uh, starting with Jan Drozig, who is a winger. He's currently playing in the Alps Hockey League, which is an Austrian-slash-Italian-slash-one-other-country hockey league. He has seven points in three games, so he's playing pretty good over there. Radim Zahorna, who the Penguins signed late last season to a minor league deal, he's playing in the Czech League. He has five points in four games over there. He's also only ever played in the Czech League, so it'll be interesting to see when the AHL season starts if he comes over and plays for the Penguins, He or at least the baby Penguins mm-hmm. in Wilkes-Barre. He is a winger as well. And then we have two defensemen over in Europe. Nicholas Almari is playing in the Finnish Liga, and Jesper Lindgren, who we just acquired from the Toronto Maple Leafs, he's playing in the Swedish second-tier league. So those are the other four players in the Penguin system that are currently on loan and playing in Europe. I wrote a story about the untouchable prospects, if you will, in the Penguins organization. Uh, but once but, Cam Lee makes his debut over there, it'll be his professional hockey debut. He'll have some damn good experience, assuming he gets decent playing time over there. 
but he should be playing in the in the AHL when that all starts. I believe he's able to come back, or at least he will come back. So we're going to move on from prospect talk and talk a little bit about the AHL. So I guess still in the prospect realm, but the AHL announces that they're going to be targeting a start date of February 5th. Now, we all know that the AHL is a very gate-driven league, even more so than the NHL is. And they're targeting a February 5th start. That came out this week. Do you think that this is kind of foreshadowing what the NHL might be thinking about? Well, it's weird that the two minor leagues for the NHL have started or have announced start dates. The Q mm-hmm. or the E is about a month away from dropping puck on their season. They're starting early mid December. And they're doing it weird. I think they're I think they've only announced like two months of games, but that's different. The AHL, them starting up is huge because let's be real, if the NHL starts later like let's say they want to shoot for a March 1st for that first month. Do you, do you, or do you not send your two way contract guys to the A to get some playing time? Yeah, it's exactly what you do. Yeah. And that, I just, that also makes it, the A very competitive. <laughs> it'll be exactly like the lockout season. The AHL is going to turn into the best league in the, in the world. Yeah. Oh, I forgot the so, A played that year still. Mm-hmm. Damn. So it's a, it's interesting that the AHL released this news prior to the NHL even releasing any news. I mean, they had the Board of Governors meeting, but nothing interesting really came out of it. It was kind of just saying, we're exactly where we were before that. We still plan on having the Seattle Kraken debut next season, and that was about the only thing that they said. Ooh, so but you don't want to mess up that AHL. season. Yeah, that's very true. I mean... The fact that the AHL is starting February 5th, if the AHL is able to put a season on at all, then the NHL will be able to figure out a way. I don't think there was any doubt that the NHL were going to have this season. It's just a matter of when. So if the AHL is targeting February 5th, the NHL is probably going to be targeting that at the latest. And the fact that the AHL, I believe the OHL and the NBA all said, hey, here's when we're starting and it's going to be a shortened season. That has to push the hand of the NHL to shorten a season, right? They cannot do 82 games anymore. No, I I think the only person that is still saying 82 games is Gary Bettman, and I feel like he's just saying that to save face at this point because he doesn't want to release the fact that they're shortening the schedule. Again, probably a lawyer reason that I don't quite grasp, but it's pretty obvious that an 82-game season is unrealistic at this point. So, as far as this is concerned, we'll see an AHL season. We'll see an ECHL season. We're going to see CHL seasons. And we're going to see an NHL season. I feel like the news for that is going to come out here in the next... It has to come out in the next two weeks, doesn't it? Because you're going to have to schedule training camps. Yeah. I can remember when Jari signed his contract, he mentioned something about at one point being told of a November 15th training camp date. Obviously that's been pushed back. I think that was never the plan was to start training camp November 15th for a December 1st start. Yeah. So obviously that's all been pushed back, but Mm -hmm. so that means you would basically have to give yourself two or so weeks for a training camp. So if they announce a training camp, expect a season two weeks later, basically. 
I would say two or three, especially because of the layoff. We we understand that the teams that did not make it into the play-in are going to get an accelerated start date for training camps because they're going to need it. They're ready to go. Uh, I don't know if they're ready to go. They, they're going to need a little bit more time because they didn't get to play in that return-to-play format. What's also really interesting is then you have guys that did play in the return-to-play stuff and they're now with teams who are about to get early training camps. Taylor Hall is about to about to have played more hockey than maybe not more hockey than anyone, but he played yeah, in but I, the play-ins and is about to have. Yeah, an early but I feel camp. like their team is going to know how to work that. They're not going to overwork Taylor Hall. No, no team is going to overwork Taylor Hall more than the New Jersey Devils did for those years. But hey, he won an MVP there. Um, exactly. I don't know where I was going with that, but. <laughs> Well, I think that's a perfect time to just move on over to the State of Hoppy interview. It was a really fun interview we had with him, as we mentioned earlier, talking pens, talking Minnesota Wild. He also is bringing another story. Yeah, the last time he was on, he brought a story about meeting Jason Zucker. This time he brings on a story about meeting a former Pittsburgh Penguin. But right before that, of course, a word from our sponsors at Manscaped. This episode of the Tip of the Iceberg is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Got a crazy bush? I may not be a contractor, but even I know that if you trim your hedges, your tree stands taller. This is why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Millions of balls are about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, featuring advanced skin-safe technology to keep your soldier polished and cut free. If you're like me and like to handle this kind of business in the shower, the Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof and features an LED light, so even guys as blind as I am can see what they're doing. If you are listening to me, you are one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and you too can experience it firsthand. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THPN at manscaped.com. Again, that's code THPN for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you by the Hockey Podcast podcast network you can join us right now in welcoming a now recurring guest to the show a man whose love of hockey is rivaled only by his love of beer specifically miller light host of the soda pod here on the hockey podcast network state of hoppy how's it going hop i mean it comes as no shock that this doesn't live up to episode 69 when i graced you before you lead in with just a dagger to my heart and soul (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> even uttering Miller Lite, but uh, it's great to be back, boys. Yeah, thanks for coming back on. Horwat did spare you the wearing of his Miller Lite hoodie that he was planning on wearing today, so we spared you a little bit, but I had to give that jab there in the intro. It's a little balmy in my room right now. I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it. No problem. So, of course, we have a lot of Pens talk, some Wild talk, and, of course, beer talk. And I'm sure that's the last we'll talk about Miller Lite here on this episode. But uh, let's start it off with some Pens talk. Again, they were very active in this offseason. So how do you like the job that Jim Rutherford has done in the past couple months trying to restructure the face of this team? You know, it's it's kind of typical. Jim Rutherford, 
you know, he's a guy that's thrived on his trades, which actually this is the first time that I've kind of disagreed with the trade he's made. And then he sabotages himself, shoots him in the foot for anything he does in free agency. Um, I don't think you can argue that the team is better than they were last year. It's just you look and think about the other things he could be doing. The team could look even better. So he hasn't done anything to close the window on the team. He's just not really doing a ton to extend it either. It's funny that you mentioned the window. I mean, there's been a lot of talk of it being closed or closing. Uh, what are your thoughts on all of this window discussion and how much longer is it open for? And do you even believe it? Because part of me is just like, it's not a real thing. I mean, for me, you've still got like Malkin and Crosby haven't lost a step until I see either of them slow down the quote unquote window, if you will, is open. It's just more what you're putting around them and what you're doing to push forward. Like, I don't think the days of them being a top contender are real anymore, but they are a team that should make the playoffs every year if they don't have everyone get hurt, which fuck with the Penguins, you never know that might happen. But looking forward, like they are a team that will make the playoffs and wouldn't shock me if they go on runs. It's just like we talked about it as the preview before we went into the bubble boys, like the Penguins are a team that catches their rhythm and does well at the end of a season. When you come in off of a several month layoff, like they're coming in fresh and that's when the Penguins historically suck. Like I guess this year we don't have – the October and November of years past. It's going to be, you know, hopefully January, February, I guess. Penguins are going to be counted out. Everyone's going to say they suck, and then they're going to catch stride and go on a run, you know? So it's just a matter of you know, what Rutherford's going to keep doing to make sure that the right pieces are in place to at least have that opportunity. You mentioned that Rutherford kind of shot himself in the foot with some of his trade moves for free agency, and that might have been why you saw a bunch of you know, league minimum contracts, signing more more depth guys. But at the same time, what did you think of those trades? I guess the big one being the Kapanen trade, and then the Hornquist trade was also one that that was massive and, and almost unprecedented in the fact that it came kind of out of nowhere. There wasn't really a lot of reporting that Hornquist was going to get traded. So what did you think of those two moves when you saw them? Yeah, the Kapanen one first. Uh, can we just put to bed the morons on Toronto Twitter that think that like keeping Kapanen and using that cap space to bring someone else in and getting rid of Nylander instead is just the dumbest shit we've ever heard? Yeah. If, if Rutherford didn't like fuck his cap up, I would gladly send Kapanen back and bring Nylander over, even if it cost a little bit more. Like, people are just dumb. Um, the trade itself, like... I'm on the same page. I think it was Horwat that I agreed with pretty heavily here where it's just like, I don't agree with what was given up. I think you could have gotten him for less, especially when this is a team that was clearly trying to make room to make moves, but you can't argue that the team did get better with the trade. And he fits right into the mold of what Rutherford has shown that he loves. This is a guy that can slot up and down the lineup. You can play him on the first line. You can play him on the fourth line. I think we all agree that he's going to start on the first line. Yeah. But so, yeah. I think the perfect landing spot for him, especially if we're all of the verdict that we're not going to have a McCann centering the third line. I think McCann needs to be up on that Crosby line eventually. And Kapanen is a good guy to throw in as that depth piece, especially with the way he plays on that third line. Yeah. And especially the fact that with Kapanen bringing him in, 
yeah, you gave up that first rounder. Yeah, you gave up Philip Hollander, and it was a lot to give up. I think the problem for Rutherford was he really wanted to get that deal done before he made any other moves, and we saw after that how many moves he truly wanted to make. So he definitely, it was a it was a timing thing for him. He wanted to be the first one to the bowl, and that kind of killed him because if he would have waited and this trade would have been talked about and he would have discussed this trade with Dubas, not even three weeks later, that price is a lot lower, isn't it? Buddy, one week later. And the biggest thing for me too, I mean, you hit on it with him trying to get to the market immediately and address this. It, the good side of it is like Rutherford drafted him. Clearly there's something he sees with him being a fit. And, you know, I, I do see it being an okay fit, but what sucks, you know, captain hindsight here you see guys that become available like tell me that you couldn't have you know found a way to make a trade for Ehlers when he became available on the market that is exponentially better than bringing in a guy like Kapanen like Ehlers is one of the guys that I have had a crush on since he started in the league he's right there with Braden Point for underrated guys well was underrated with Braden yeah. Point I think even Berlansky has come around on this one <laughs> but like seriously like that's just one example of like sit there and wait because there's teams that are going to be scrambling to move pieces out because of the upcoming expansion, especially with the flat cap. So Ehlers great example, but there will be others too. So rushing out and putting yourself in a spot where you can't go after those kinds of players now fucking sucks. Yeah. And I mean, even as you mentioned that I might date this, this recording a little bit, but as of right now, you still have guys like Granlund and Mike Hoffman, who are still on the on the on the free agent market, where yes, they might not give you the the same results as a Kapanen, but you also don't have to give up a first round pick and Philip Hollander for them. So it, again, that I'm not saying that was the move to make, but at the same time, you don't have to give anything up to get guys like that who might be taking lower numbers now that we're a couple weeks into free agency market, and they might see that their value isn't as high as they expected. But as we talked about on episode. 81 from how the roster is kind of shaping up it seems as if the pens management plan is for the top six to provide the bulk majority of the scoring and have the bottom six just hold pat and make sure they play good defensive hockey and chip in when they can but do you still see Crosby and Malkin I know you said that until you see that regression they're not regressed but do you see them as players that will push that 100 point mark if it is 82 game season or whatever that same pace is for a 48 to 56 gamer. Yeah. And I mean, the biggest thing that's really always been the issue for those two is are they healthy? You know, if we get a full healthy season from both of them, yeah, I think they're both in that 90 to hundred point range pretty consistently. It's just, they both get hurt in and out of the lineup because of injuries that are nagging and they try and push back in. Not only does it impact their play, but it throws off their rhythm. If you're out of the lineup for an extended time. So you know, I, I think that they absolutely can, but will it happen? I'm not willing to bet on it just because history has shown us that injuries are going to creep up. Especially with Malkin's elbow now. Oh, yeah. yeah. But uh, and then you uh, asked about Hornquist, too. Um, I personally have no problem with this trade. I was actually kind of a fan of it when it happened. Uh, obviously, love Hornquist. Like, it's going to suck not having the, you know, extra from the movie 300 in the locker room but like you knew right when he got signed to that extension this was a like very very diluted version of the Kane Taves contract like yep you hope this win a couple of cups we're gonna pay you don't worry 
And you know what? If he wasn't an aging, injury-plagued asset who's slowing down as the game's getting faster, I'd love to have Patrick Hornquist here. Great net front guy for the power play, good middle six type player, but slowing down, injuries catching up with him. Needed to go. Matheson is an absolute fucking wild card. But, I mean, we've seen it in the past, and I'm really curious to know how much the, you know, defenseman development and bringing in these reclamation projects was Sergei Gonchar versus just the system in place as a whole. We're going to find out, but Matheson's a guy that has shown he has the skill. Like Florida was not the place for him to shine as a player. Like there's plenty that can be said about how that team structure and everything that went wrong this year, when everyone got all excited about Bobrovsky about, you know, obviously bringing in the mustache there's a lot of things that everyone was expecting this year. He kind of fell victim to everything that could have gone wrong there, but there's still a lot of questions in the air, but it's still a 26 year old guy who plays the type of game that Rutherford wants to see from a defenseman. He can move the puck. He can skate. If he can figure out the other pieces, he's a great third pairing guy. He's not going to be any more than that, but like I'll take that at this point alongside, you know, see the, not anything that you're going to get too excited about, but he's a great guy to throw in on that fourth line, get some balance, whatever. And he's up after this year, I believe. So if it doesn't work out, he's gone. There's another mill that you have on the cap. Yeah. And let's see basically if they can turn Mike Matheson into what Justin Schultz was the first couple of seasons that he was over here. And it might turn out to be the same thing where the back end of that contract doesn't look too bright, but hopefully you can get a couple years out of the front end, which that's all Rutherford's been looking for is the next two years, what's going to work in 2020-21 and then 2021-22. And that's that's what you look at with Mike Matheson, especially considering with Hornquist going, other than the fact that I'm sure he had trouble finding out how to turn his phone on when they were trying to put the trade through. He is a little bit older, so like you mentioned, it's it's something that it sucks to see him go, and we mentioned that when we talked about the trade, but Horowat called me out after it happened and said, hey, you were calling for him to be traded a year ago, so I guess I can't be too upset about it. And that's what I would have wanted, though, because his value went down further over the course of this past year. If they had traded him a year sooner, which, again, hindsight, like it makes all the difference, mm-hmm. but hey, it is what it is. We're moving forward. <laughs> Speaking of moving forward, the last time you came onto the show, you spun us a really great tale. So I guess it's 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 time for story time with Hoppy. You spun us a really good tale about the time you ran into Jason Zucker. But now I'm hearing that you actually ran into former Penguin and current Wild GM Bill Guerin. How did that happen? And literally, I, the biggest question I have is, is he as personable as everybody says he is? Well, first off, this doesn't at all compare to drinking beers with Jason Zucker without masks. But uh, yeah, man, went out to the local grocery store um, after a just thrilling Vikings slaughter. Um, (laughs) It's the only reason that my wife convinced me to go to the grocery store with her, which bless her heart. uh, (laughs) I won't say no as often anymore. Um, No, man, go to the grocery store, walking through. I think it was uh, initially we saw him by the like yogurt coolers and I look at him like that you look very much like Bill Guerin and I like kind of double taked on it and they started turning and going the same direction as me and I'm just sitting here pondering it like I'm pretty sure this is him I don't know how it couldn't be 
then we both stop at like the deli section to get like sandwich meat and we're in line first. So he's stuck there behind us. And I just turn around. And I'm like, Phil. And he's like, yes, sir. Looks right up. Like no hesitation. I'm like, all right, well, first off, you're already way fucking cooler than I thought you were before. And I thought you were pretty damn cool to begin with. And then just like started talking to him. Like, and I'm going full, like, we're talking like numbers flying everywhere in my head. Like, I'm just trying to think like, what's a good question to ask? Holy shit. And like, he just kind of started the conversation. Like he's excited for the season to come back. He's very much hopeful that we're going to have fans in the stands sooner than we think, but doesn't really know obviously. And like, he was just asking me, he's like, would you be comfortable coming to a game? Like typical Bill Guerin, just like immediately in like recon analysis mode, like trying to figure out what's going on. And like, eventually just reached the point that our wives like started walking a different direction. I'm just like, all right, man, it's really cool to meet you. I'll be back here every Sunday now. Um, I'll just be waiting at the front door for whenever you walk through. Don't worry about it. Just post up at the yo place. <laughs> We're going to hear the story about whenever the wild start letting fans back in. So what, what, what made you start letting fans back in? Oh, this man at the deli line said he'd come. So uh, I'm assuming he's here. <laughs> Yeah, if only, if only. But um, to start talking about the Wild, how do you, how would you grade Bill Guerin's offseason and the moves he's been making, and what what move are you most looking forward to playing out? Well, it's an A plus unless you're gonna let me give two pluses. Like honestly, he's <laughs> made one, it. he's made one move over the past like five months that I like questioned, and I'm like okay with it because if that's the worst thing he does, I'll get over it, and that's the signing of Cam Talbot, which. Mm. honestly it's more so me looking out and seeing what else is available and being like that's who you picked for three years like all right whatever he seems excited about him it, until he does something wrong like that's shown on the ice or on paper i'm just gonna trust him for now because they absolutely killed the draft i would argue that they were if not the best draft for where their position was easily in the top five um, and that's probably the biggest, you know, source of optimism for Penguins or for Wild fans. Um, between him and Kaprizov coming over, like, if either of these guys hit the way that they're supposed to, it's going to be incredible. Like, I think there's a chance that they could end up playing on a line together too to start the year. Um, I don't know. Everyone wants to see a Rossi, Fiala, and Kaprizov line. I think that's a little aggressive, personally. <laughs> I have no problem throwing them all together on a power play unit, have fun, but it's one of those things where like they don't all have to play together immediately, get them with veterans. Like I think a line of Rossi, Zuccarello and Kaprizov sounds like a lot of fun. You know, you get a guy like Johansson and Eck maybe to throw with Fiala, that works for me too. Um, but Billy Garen's done a great job of putting contracts on the team too that our one-year deals, he's going to be able to basically clean the deck after this year and make the team look like whatever he wants. And he's made it pretty clear. He's been very vocal. Like, this is a great fucking place to play. You're going to show me that you want to or you're not going to be here for very long. You know, Jordan Greenway, perfect example, a guy that's been very much openly criticized by Bill Guerin. And that's either going to be something that he pushes through and comes out and shows that he can be the second-round draft pick he was. Like, everyone was excited about him after World Junior hey, maybe he brings his career around because of that push or shows that he's just not the guy that Garen wants. You can still probably send him off for a pick or a prospect, whatever. Someone's going to see him being a big-bodied guy that they can fix. Cool. 
Um, but I guess the biggest question mark looming forward for the Wild is going to be what happens with Matt Dumba. Mm. Writing's kind of on the wall that he's the odd man out, which is you know too bad because obviously fans were already you know pretty big on him. But after everything that he was doing with Black Lives Matter, the Hockey Diversity Alliance, like everyone's just got the utmost respect for him, and the dude can play. But you can't have a blue line that costs twenty-seven million on the cap. And that's just the top four of the blue line. Like, that, that's just not going to work. And the reason that he's the odd man out, on top of just the fact that there's no moves and no trades, uh, Rutherford was so nice as to part ways with Kalen Addison, who is the perfect guy to slot in and take over a Matt Dumba role, be that sheltered middle pairing guy. Maybe even he ends up on the third pairing, but ends up being, you know, quarterback of the power play, whatever. He's a guy that you can slot in to take over for Dumba, and Dumba's the guy that you can hopefully move to either get an elite winger or bring in that one C that Minnesota's never really had. Well, I guess you answered the first part of my next question. I, I We did talk with your co-host, Isha Jerome, on episode 74 a lot about Kirill Kaprizov, so, so we won't get into that as much here, but... I watched the the draft show that you guys did, and I saw whenever Minnesota picked Marco Rossi, the excitement that was on your face, on Isha's face, on all of your guest faces that were there. And you already answered my first part of this question, which was I th- I was going to ask if you thought he would make the team out of camp this year. And it seems like you're you're fairly confident that he would. But if he does, how big of an, an impact do you see him making next year? Yeah, so he's a guy that I by no means do I want to like cast the image that he's a lock to make the lineup but if he does you don't bring him in in a bottom six role you can't like that's not the way to transition this guy in you either think that he can play second line center for you shit maybe even first or you let him play overseas for another year whatever but it's a guy that he's older for his draft class he clearly showed the talent last year with the auto 67s and I got to say, guys, like his thighs are right up there with Marty St. Louis. It's fucking nuts. Like this is a guy that's very like physically developed. Like he can add some to the upper body, but like we've seen with Crosby, fuck all for upper body. Like you can't push him off the puck because he's got those tree trunks. I think that he could step in and make a difference as a second line guy, but it's a, it's a transition year. Like no one, like if they make the playoffs, awesome. But Garen isn't pushing for that right now. He won't accept not pushing to win, but like this is a year where they're going to figure out a lot about the future of their team. Players that are staying, players that are leaving, getting a year of development under the belt for guys like Kaprizov and for Rossi if he makes it in. So like, and to be honest, I was like one of the less excited people on our stream about the Rossi draft and I was freaking the fuck out. So <laughs> that tells you enough about, we, we had guys on that are way deeper into the, the draft analysis than I am, and they were losing their fucking minds. So I know Rossi might be the underdog in this quick little one-hit question, but if you had to rank them, San Luis, Rossi, and Crosby, how do you rank those thighs? Today versus end of career, I'm going Marty. Maybe I'll give slight edge to Crosby over Rossi for now, but I think Rossi okay. ends up surpassing Crosby. And he's going to give Marty a hell of a run for his money, man. <laughs> well, there you have. That's the official thigh rankings from State of Hoppy. Oh, buddy. <laughs> so I think in a couple years' time with Rossi and you know, Kaprizov rolling over, that Wild are going to be a damn unit, just like Rossi Seismic. 
Agreed. <laughs> I don't know if you, I don't know if there's anything else to say after that. <laughs> I just have to agree with whatever he's saying right now. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> hey, well, hey it's alive. All right. <laughs> How about it? I hope I, I, well, I tried to get a screenshot of your, your face. Cause it was pretty, pretty good. It, it was basically blue steel. Great. It's funny. Cause I was in the middle. I think I just got done mentioning something about everyone's thighs and you said, agreed. And I was like, Oh, so he can hear me. We're good. We're rolling along. <laughs> Given the draft that the Wild had and Kaprizov rolling over soon enough, um, I think the Wild will be a damn unit in the coming years. The only question mark coming into this year, at least for me, is goaltending, and you kind of touched on it with Cam Talbot. Um, what are your thoughts on that move specifically, and when is uh, Kapo Kakinen going to be reaching the NHL? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see because it's one of those things you don't want to rush his development by any means. Like, he had four games last year, looked great in all of them. Obviously did well in the AHL, but shit, DeSmith has torn up the AHL as well. And, well, we're not throwing him in as the starter for Pittsburgh anytime soon. Um, you know, he's a guy that has a lot of promise. There's also another guy down there, I'm actually spacing on his name right now, that, like, has potential as well. Staylock can't be as bad as he was last year. He showed that he at least came around a little bit in the playoffs, like absolutely stood on his head for game one. And then, you know, did the best he could under the barrage that it was from that top six wagon that was the Vancouver Canucks. Just came out of nowhere firing on all cylinders. Um, regression, like there is no way that it can be as bad as last year, especially behind the defense that they have now. Talbot's a guy that like, He's not going to have a ton of grade A chances given up on him. I think he's up to the task to at least do what he can to, you know, stop what is given to him. Um, again, there's other goalies that would have certainly been preferred, but, you know, obviously paying a little over six mil to Matt Murray wasn't going to happen. Um, you saw the other goalies, like, Sure, you can say that, like, Kudobin got the same contract that Talbot did. Well, guess what? Kudobin took that because he was staying. He was only going to leave yeah. if he got paid handsomely. Um, you can't afford some of the other guys. Like, I'm, I'm okay with that being the option. It was the third year that kind of bothered me, but fuck it. Again, in Garen, <laughs> I trust until he gives me a reason not to. Right, and going forward, you have to trust Bill Garen a lot, especially with eight forward contracts expiring at the end of this season. I think you kind of touched on it in the long answer of it's make or break for a lot of guys, but who do you see going forward, staying or leaving? And could this be a whole new forward core in just a couple of seasons? Man, it could go so many different directions right now. Cause again, Garen is very, very open. Like he is not emotionally attached to anyone. Um, you know, the, the guys that I'm curious to see what happens with, like, obviously Prezi and Suter aren't going anywhere because you can't. Same with Zuccarello. Like, I actually love Zuccarello, the player. I just fucking hate his contract. It's awful. But fuck you, Fenton. Thanks for that parting gift. <laughs> um, you know, the guys that I'm really interested to see, again, Matt Dumba's a given. Like, where is he going to go and for what? Do they sell him off at the deadline? Do they do it right before the expansion draft? Do they even go with the four and four protection and – just keep him through that because they're not getting what they want. I want to see what happens with uh, Jewel Erickson Ack. He's a guy that's like just in a weird limbo right now. Like he is the perfect third line center for a competitive team. He's going to be forced to be first or second line center this year, just given the lack of depth at the center position. And he's either a guy that's going to stick around for a long time and be that perfect middle six center or 
he is a great chip to move, you know, along with a Dumba or in separate deals to try and bring in that guy that you think can be your first or second line center. Um, I don't know what he's going to ask for for a contract after this year because he's up alongside Fiala, alongside Kaprizov, and I can't imagine Fiala or Kaprizov going anywhere. Those are the only two forwards that I'd be shocked to see moved that aren't the no-move clause guys. Um, but the, the one that really is interesting is Eck, whether or not Garen sees him being a cornerstone piece there or is he a guy that he can use because he's quite valuable, especially for a contending team to bring in more future assets. So before we let you go, we're going to have a little bit of beer talk, but you're a Pittsburgh Penguins fan that also enjoys the Minnesota wild and is a fan of the Minnesota wild. So for Penguins fans, I know the fancy and the sexy pick for your, your team to follow in the Western conference is the Vegas golden Knights. But I mean, take a look at Minnesota. We already mentioned Kalen Addison for those who were excited for him in Pittsburgh he's going to be coming up to Minnesota here in the next year or two. And then they also got Bukestad and Bonino down there. Is that yeah, might play two games this year? I'm pretty excited. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, he has to play what 31 for the penguins to get that seventh round pick. I'm glad that that's not going to happen. God. Yeah. But no, and Bonino's another one of those guys, man. Like he, he should be cemented in as the third line center. I think he's perfect for that role. He's going to be a guy that like, he's a character guy for some of these young guys to learn from. Maybe you bring him back on a cheap deal after this, but again, that's a $4 million cap hit that's gone after this season. Cleaning house, Garen is going to be able to remold and bring in whatever he wants next year, and it's it's pretty exciting. So, like, a lot of people were pissed off initially at that move because, like, a lot of people are big on Luke Cunning, but, like, the picks that came with it, the flexibility, like, Cunning clearly wasn't a guy that Garen saw being – with the team moving forward. So cut bait now, do it. Perfect. And, and realistically, I don't think I've ever asked you this question and this is, this is tailing into beer. So I've never really asked you this question. How did your love of craft beer start? Cause we know it wasn't by, uh, by having Miller light and getting sick of it. You never liked Miller light. So how did that whole thing start and how did it get to the point where it is now where you're a craft beer connoisseur, I would have to say. Eh, I wouldn't say connoisseur, but thank you very much. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll certainly take compliments. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny because in college, just like you guys, like it wasn't Miller Lite for me because I genuinely think that tastes like piss, but whatever. <laughs> um, I'm, you know, Bush Light out here in the Midwest. It's McGolden Light. If anyone's, you know, not a craft beer person, on the Miller Lite train. If you come out to Minnesota for a game or for any number of things, I recommend you try Michelob Golden Light. It's basically exclusively sold in Minnesota. There's a couple bordering states that get it in some spots, but it's just like our go-to light beer, sponsor the Minnesota Wild, like everyone just loves it. And that's all I had through college as far as beer was concerned. Went to some breweries and I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, it's just such a culture shock to go from you know, a light 4% beer to having an IPA or anything like that. Went to a place out here called Dangerous Man Brewing. Um, and again, like I'm looking around, I'm like, oh, they don't have McGolden on the menu. So I don't know what I'm going to fucking do here. And they had a peanut butter porter. And I just like go up to the counter. I'm like, buddy, what is this? Like, it's a peanut butter beer. He's like, yeah. I'm like, is it good? He's like, people seem to really like it. I got it. 
absolutely loved it to this day. It's probably my favorite beer. And I, I never looked back from there. I just did my best to try new things and kind of expand the palate, like get more comfortable with the stronger beers like that. And I'll still drink a Bush Light, a McGolden, whatever, but I'm never going to seek it out. Like I'm definitely off that and onto the, you know, craft beer train. Um, so for me, it's kind of fun because Minnesota, like people don't give it the credit it deserves. Like there's hundreds of breweries. They're still popping up. There's a new one that I'm going out to see next week. And we're going to bring on our podcast. Like that the culture out here, they're also collaborative, like COVID-19 hit. Everyone was working together to make sure everyone had crawlers and was able to like package beer to sell because obviously no one's coming into the tap room at that time. And it's just good beer across the board. They've all got different vibes, whether it's what the brewery itself looks like, the tap room. Some have different games. Like one of my personal favorites is feather bowling. It's basically a bocce ball where it's like a half pipe of, you know, fake grass and you throw it across and there's a little feather at the end and it's like big wooden pucks that you're rolling across and you got to like get it to stop perfect. Otherwise it goes off the end. Huh? Like just random shit like that. I like going around seeing different places, trying new beers and just figuring out spot by spot what I like. And State of Hoppy uh, was born. Yeah. State of Hoppy was born. What was the uh, brand of that? peanut butter porter because i've had something similar to it and it's really good there's a lot of good ones out here to be completely honest isha gets pretty pissed off because like there's no porters really out on the island um but it's dangerous man oh okay if you boys ever make it out to minnesota whether it's for a hockey game or what have you i'll give you the full tour and take you to all the good spots but uh dangerous man is you know, it's maybe not my like number one brewery in Minnesota, but it'll always like have a special place in my heart because it brought me into this, I guess, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, really good beers on. across the board. Yeah, no, I mean, it's something that like, I've never been like wanting to get into craft beers, but I'm not, because I'm not a super big into IPAs or craft beers, but I'm willing to give it all a try. And do you have any suggestions for someone who might be trying to dip their toe into all those waters? Yeah, I mean, it comes down to what you're into because nowadays, like beers, you can go in so many different directions. Like I've had a pancake breakfast porter. I have had like replicas of like ices from the movie theater, like sour beers that have that. Like mm -hmm. you can go in any direction. So it's kind of going and figuring out like, cause I don't know what the, the beer scene is like in Pittsburgh or the surrounding areas there. Um, it's just figuring out like unique styles and tasting them and figuring out what you do and don't like. And I recommend to anyone that kind of tries to go down that road. Uh, there's an app called untapped U N T A P P D. Like you can see what everyone else has rated a beer and checked in. You can see the brewery as a whole, how it rates. And that just gives you a good baseline of like where you want to go out and check stuff out. And then you can use your own ratings in there to keep track of like where you do and don't want to go back beers that are worth having again and not like I use that. And it, it helps me sometimes because I forget that I've had a beer because I've had a lot of them and I'm like, Ooh, I want to try this. And I look it up. I'm like, Oh, I had it. And I did not like it. Never mind. Move on to the next. So I, I'd start there for people, but it's really like, again, my gateway beer was a peanut butter Porter as weird as that sounds. 
and I've slowly, like everywhere I go, I get a flight. I get two things that I know I'm going to like, and I try, you know, another two things that, you know, maybe are more of a question mark. Sometimes I'm very disappointed with the question marks and other times I'm like, holy shit, never would have gotten this. And I actually really like it. So it's kind of a mix and match of having things that, you know, are safe for you just based on the flavor and others that, you know, take some risks and eventually you're just going to kind of get more and more acclimated to different styles. Now, I wouldn't have expected, does it vary by region too? Cause you mentioned you don't know the scene out here. Is it like, does it change like wherever you are in the country? It does. And again, I, th I think Minnesota by and large is underrated, but it is by no means like the best in the country. Like if you go to, you know, Boston area, if you go really anywhere, like New Englandish area, if you go out to San Diego, like those are the big spots, go out to Portland. Like that's where you're really going to yeah. see like the beer scenes, but then there's little spots here and there. Like there's actually a handful of breweries that I really like out in St. Louis Chicago has their own little scene built up. I just don't personally know a ton about Pittsburgh. Like I know there's, you know, there's gotta be some that are good. I just don't know if by and large the quality is there or not. You know right. what I mean? So that's more what I mean in the sense that like every place is going to have good and bad breweries. I just don't know Pittsburgh well enough and who knows, maybe COVID ends someday and I'll come out there and I'll tell you firsthand. Yeah. There's a guide to starting up with craft beer from State of Hoppy. There you go. That's your audio book. All you have to do is write it down and you're set. Man, writing's not the best for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hoppy, thank you again for joining us. We loved all the talk from Penn's talk to Wild Talk, back to craft beer talk at the end there. But thank you for joining us again. What do you guys have coming up here on the Soda Pod? And do you have anything specific coming up for you on the State of Hoppy account on Twitter? Yeah. Uh, you know, if you want to throw a follow to either myself at state of hoppy or the soda pod at the soda pod, like I can assure you guys, it's a Minnesota wild podcast. We talk about beer, but I slip in a lot more penguins chat than a lot of wild fans would prefer. It's always nice. Cause I kind of circle it back to Bill Guerin and people have to calm down, but um, you know, we do a lot of league wide news and uh, you know, kind of go down the rabbit hole on a lot of random topics. Like we hit on a ton of craft beer whiskey shit last episode isha started talking about how he got high and went out in the woods and started like hunting <laughs> jedis because one of the old star wars films was filmed out there like we can go any direction but most importantly and berlansky i'm gonna circle back to you on this because i know you're a supporter but even if you have no inch in our podcasts or my mediocre hockey or beer takes please check out the judge joey segment that we do weekly we just get a new topic where Isha and I go head to head and scratch and claw at each other to see who comes out with the better argument. It's a couple minutes of video that we post from the soda pot account again, weekly and like beating Isha eight to two isn't all that exciting. Like, I don't care if I lose, I just want more votes and more eyes on this. Cause we're going to start doing some, some creative things with it. But Berlansky, I don't know you, you tell me, should people check this out or not? Oh, most definitely. The Judge Joey segments. Also, because you're fighting an uphill battle. You're friends with, with Joey Neto, so he, he's more inclined to go against you in his ruling. Yeah, he's such an asshole with some of the <laughs> verdicts. Like, my brother's texting me on a couple. He's like, that's absolute bullshit. I know Joey's being hard on you, but what the hell? 
but yeah, it is definitely a must listen, listen and a must watch if you see it on Twitter. And then of course, give it, give it a vote there because they're all interesting topics and they're stuff that I wouldn't have thought about. Uh, the one that was, I don't know if it was last week or a couple weeks ago, Vili Leno and who was the other goaltender? And it was, who was the worst signing? It was, uh, it was right Vili Leno and, uh, <laughs> I can't think of <laughs> it who was it is. Brzgalov, that's right. I was about to say he's afraid of bears, but yeah, it, they're, they're great segments. They're great fun, and it's always hilarious trying to hear Isha scramble for for whenever he's not ready. So it, it's nice hearing the the co-creator of the Hockey Podcast Network a little bit on his on his heels. Well, that's my favorite part of it, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, once again, thank you for joining us. And hey, if you see Billy Garen by the Yo Play again, tell him we'll give him back that con- conditional seventh if he sends us back Kalen Addison. I just lost my connection. What did you say? I said, if you were by the yo play, I, I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> I really do. I don't know why. Oh I thought God. That I could, I could see Horwat like smiling, like, Oh no, he's actually going to say it again. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you got me, but that, thanks again, buddy. Uh, thanks for having me boys. Hockey fights, lifestyle and tales from a first round draft bust. We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, episode 83. We've talked about Penn's prospects. We've talked about the AHL. We had that great interview with State of Hoppy, and thank you again, Hoppy, for making me look like a complete and utter idiot at the end there. But we're going to finish off this week's episode with the Pens poll and our shoutouts and callouts. Of course, this week's Pens poll, which newly acquired Penguin are you most excited to watch next season? Surprise, surprise, Kasperi Kapanen ran away with the voting in this one. Mark Jankowski came in third, actually. Mike Matheson came ahead of him and Colton Sevier. I think he got a pity vote there at the end by Tom Franklin. Thank you, Tom. Um. <laughs> I'm going to state my case for Matheson here because of all the video I saw of him in Florida. Seems to look, seems like this is the style of play he wants to play is a penguin style where you have a little more range to be a defenseman, but play more like a forward. I don't know Florida's system. I, it, it looks like boring hockey. It doesn't look like Matheson plays boring hockey. So he's here in the right system, at least. Maybe he gets a resurgence like early years Justin Schultz with the Penguins. He's got the most, um, what's it called? He's got the highest ceiling, I'd say, out of all of these pickups because... Come again? Highest? You think he has a higher ceiling than Kasperi Kapanen? Yes. Oh. There. No. Hot no. take. Hot take. That is a hot take. I just, when you talk about excitement, you're talking about high-flying, goal-scoring, Pittsburgh Penguins hockey. What? There's one player on this list that you can just put into that whole realm there, and that's Kasperi Kapanen. The one that everyone wants on the third line? That I've never stated that I want him on the third line. I said you could put him on the third line if you have a guy like Sam Poulan that is working very well on that top line, but guess what? Poulan's probably not going to be ready. He might be, but he's probably not. Kasperi Kapanen's going to play on that first line oh, yeah. with Crosby and Jake Gensel. 
if he has a little bit more finish than he had in Toronto, this guy is knocking on 25 goals door. I mean, he is a Dominic Simone with finish, which is, let's be honest, what we've been looking for. (laughs) That's exactly right. I mean, I didn't expect Colton Sevier to win this. No. I think it's kind of rude that I put him in this poll. (laughs) But I wanted to put a fourth player in, and I figured let's see if Colton Sevier gets any votes, and it it, it took Tom Franklin being... (laughs) A nice guy. Feeling bad for him to give him a vote. But Jankowski's a two-way forward. I think he's going to play well for the Penguins, hopefully. Not the most exciting pickup. Mike Matheson, that contract is always going to generate news and generate publicity and generate views. But not as excited to see what a third-pairing defenseman does. Kasperi Kapanen, the second they acquired him, Rutherford looked at him and said, well, we expect him to play on the right side of Sidney Crosby. That is where you have the potential for a very exciting first-year Penguin. Yeah, that's and that's fair. why I picked Kapanen. And that's why I feel over 70% of our voters also picked Kapanen. I honestly don't remember who I voted for. It may have been Kapanen. I just wanted to make a case for Matheson because um, I am fairly excited to see what he can do. Especially if you know we can't lose his contract. We're going to be watching him for a while. So let's try and look at the bright side, shall we? <laughs> The bright side is he is faster, better at handling the puck, and overall just a better player than Jack Johnson on the third pair. So and let's a, enjoy not watching Jack Johnson. You mentioned faster. Apparently he might be the fastest defenseman on the team, which was a bold uh, take by Rutherford the day we the day we traded for him. Yeah. That's, and I've heard rebuttaled a couple of times that apparently he might be the fastest defenseman on the team. because it makes, Did Latang need, like, hip surgery or something that he's not fast anymore? I mean, he's not as fast as he used to be, but Latang is no slowpoke, and neither is John Marino. Yeah, I mean, because I'm trying to think around. We know Dumoulin's not the fastest. Latang is Latang, slowing down but still has his speed. John Marino, I feel like we haven't seen long enough to know his speed. It's hard to gauge a defenseman's speed. Is it? Yeah, it's pretty It's pretty difficult, especially when you don't have defensemen that go coast-to-coast coast really that much anymore. You don't see that happen very much. And if you do, it's coast-to-red line, dump it in. Or you're going to have to stop and weave around the trap that is always in the neutral zone right now. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, I'm excited to watch Mike Matheson. Mm-hmm. By no means am I saying that... I'm not excited to watch what Mike Matheson can do as a Penguin, but I'm just saying when you're talking about most excited, a guy that has the potential to put up 25 goals in him. We talked to Ken Stapon last week from the Not Another Leafs pod, and he said, listen, Kapanen's going to get you breakaways at least once every three games, and he's going to have breakaways. He's going to have chances. He's going to be exciting to watch, and that's what stuck in my head. So go back and listen to that episode. And he explains to you why Kapanen is going to be the most exciting player on this team to start next season. It will be fun. I think it'll be a fun team, assuming everything um, pulls together and plays the right way. If Matheson can be top-tier Matheson at all times, if Kapanen can be at his best and everyone else plays their role, it'll be fun. Sevier also, I feel like, got no votes because uh, he might not even be in the starting lineup, because apparently we're really high on Rodriguez these days. Younger and faster, and Rodriguez has that on Colton Sevier currently, but as of right now, let's head over to our shout-outs and call-outs to finish off this Halloween show. 
The fish angle was awful. Man, it was just terrible. Made ridiculous. Oh, this is just too good. What is your major malfunction? He's a horse. He is just relentless as far as how he plays. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Shoutouts and callouts brought to you by CoolHockey.com. Visit them at CoolHockey.com slash THPN using code THPN for 30% off your new favorite hockey jersey, Horwat. Let's start off with shoutouts. Uh, I'm shouting out McDonald's because the McRib is coming back. <laughs> Never had a McRib. You need to get one. I say that I probably won't have one while it's back because I just always forget to go to McDonald's. But I can remember the last time the McRib was back and hearing the McRib is back. I didn't realize it's been eight years. Eight? It's been eight years since it was back nationwide. But it's it's been it's been back locally. Well, it hasn't been lo- It hasn't been back in Pittsburgh. So the McRib is back, and well, it isn't yet, but it will be back. <laughs> I'm not saying I'll be first in line for it. I'm saying I'll probably get one <laughs> while it's out. Um, realize how horrible it is for me. Not care. Say what I always say when eating fast food. It hasn't killed me yet, and continue eating. Uh, so until it does kill me. I'm going to enjoy my McRib. And then maybe like try I said, and never had a McRib. Maybe I'll try one. Got to try one. You have to at least try it. That's one of those things that you've yeah, got to Yeah, I'm not against try. trying it. I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of McDonald's, although every once in a while I do crave their chicken nuggets with some buffalo sauce on the side. That's definitely oh, the way to go. But I'll try I'll try a McRib. I'm a heathen. I get it. those nuggets dry. I don't dip them in oh. anything. I've lost all respect for you. I don't know my my screen did not freeze. I was just that disgusted. And had to pause for dramatic effect here. My shout-out is going to be your favorite of all of my shout-outs ever. My shout-out goes to the Los Angeles Dodgers, the 2020 World Series champions. Horwat, how excited are you that the Dodgers won the World Series? Uh, I figured it was inevitable after uh... <laughs> five years of being the runner-up. That basically. I didn't realize. I thought they had won one of those years. Whenever they said no, first... They haven't won since, I think, the 80s. 88. Whenever Joe Buck said first time since 1988, I had to do a double take. I was like, didn't they not win, like, once or twice in the past, like, handful of years? No. The Red Sox and the Astros had something to say about that. Oh, two cheaters? Great. I love baseball. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I don't like the Dodgers. I was happy for Joe Kelly because he made the face at the Astros. <laughs> and Cody Bellinger, because I think he is one of the most entertaining players in baseball. I just don't like the team he's on. Those were the only two people I was happy for. Um, uh, listen, the guy I'm most happy for is Clayton freaking Kershaw. He <laughs> he deserves... What do you mean? Yeah. He is the best pitcher of this generation, and it's not even close. He's lucky he didn't 13, blow any After game, 13 seasons. He's lucky he didn't blow any games in this postseason. He didn't. He finally, he finally did it. didn't. I mean, yeah, I'll give him he's that. He's the most dominant regular season pitcher of his generation easily postseason yeah he's had his struggles but he was four and one this yeah, postseason he, he pitched really well in the world series so congrats to clayton kershaw that's like lebron james if he would have never won the nba championship to be fair it did take lebron a long time yeah but now he has four. Oh well oh also yeah forgot la won the nba championship. you mean the one he just won like two months ago yeah well way to go la L.A. Uh, just tied the record for most 
multi-sport championships in the same year, actually. Well, it's easy whenever you have 20 teams. Yeah, they're tied with New York, I think. Exactly. So, yeah, I don't take credence into that. And I know a lot of people aren't really fond of the Dodgers for the reason of how much money they spend. And, yeah, they spend a lot of money. And, yeah, it's not necessarily fair, but they're the- it's not their fault. It's the MLB's fault. If If you're that upset about it, institute a salary cap and until they do yeah if you have the money why not spend it if the penguins if the Pits- penguins if the pittsburgh pirates had the money yeah they'd probably be spending it but they don't have the money they're not that big of a market and that's why the yankees that's why the dodgers are always in the playoffs and that's why they're not just happy to be in a wild card game like the pittsburgh pirates are so good on the los angeles dodgers for doing what the mlb allows them to do which is pay everybody all of the money the Dodgers, the Yankees of the National League. Basically. Honestly, basically. Especially after they got Mookie bets this past offseason. That was them just flexing. Yeah. Yeah. I was, even before all of um, the Dodgers and the Rays, I was really hoping the Padres could do something, though. I don't know why. I just thought that team. Because that team has never been relevant and, in our lifetime. And because they pissed off old people. With, because they played a fun game yeah, and made I was like, baseball I see a interesting fun team for once. Win, yeah. Oh, also, uh, maybe, maybe next year. One thing about the Dodgers winning, though, uh, Justin Turner, you dumbass. Yeah, no, what I don't understand the logic there. I guess there is no logic, and you made yourself look bad. You made your team look bad. And I really used to like Justin Turner. I thought he was hilarious. He'd go on late night shows. He cracked jokes. He looks like gritty of the MLB, I guess. But, you know, testing positive for COVID and coming out and hugging people without a mask, that's just a... I don't know what way I could say it that's worse than just saying it's not a good look, bud. Um, I I had a funny text. I forget. I sent it to Megan. I sent them a, sent her a screen cap of the headline that said, Justin Turner tests positive for COVID and celebrates with his team. It's a typical Yinzer would say put an asterisk next to their championship. He was positive. They, sh- they should have stopped the game when they found out. Which, depending on the sport, that maybe. But baseball, you're nowhere near people anyway. Yeah, you're you're a lot more than social distancing yeah. in the outfield, that's for sure. But the fact that he came out and celebrated, that's, that's really not a good look. Um, yeah. And no. as far as I know, I don't think they've had a parade yet probably not maybe because they're on quarantine for two weeks dumbass <laughs> we're turning into red foreman we need to get to our call outs <laughs> let's move on to our call you know my call out this week because i texted you oh yeah yesterday or a day before freaking roundabouts <laughs> what is with re- it's the most frustrating thing in the world especially because nobody in this country knows how to drive in one no one knows how to drive but you well, that's always that's how the case. It goes. But I, like, I feel like 80% of people in this country have no idea how to use it. Now, I say in this country for a reason. You look in Europe, there's roundabouts all over the place. But the person that designed that, I think he just wanted to mess with people. Because the point of a roundabout is what? To speed up traffic and to make sure things go faster. It's kind of a One of the roundabouts that I... Exactly. One of the roundabouts that I went on the other day there was only four streets that came to it uh why would you not just put a stoplight there 
because you're slowing down traffic for people that have no idea, one, how to yield. People don't know how to yield in the first place, no. let alone on a roundabout. And two, people that don't understand, oh, if I'm getting off on the next one, I should probably be on the outside lane, not on the lane, four lanes to the inside. I don't know. It's just, it defeats the whole purpose of speeding up traffic whenever you have one within 50 miles and nobody there knows how to use it. I was a little worried about it when you said uh, screw roundabouts. I thought he didn't just wreck his new car, did he? No, no, my new car did not get wrecked. Because you, just, in the matter of like forty-eight hours, irritating. gets a new car and then complains about a street hazard. <laughs> like I'm like, did this happen? Um, well, I'm glad to hear you're safe. Um, actually, a funny story is my high school tried to put in a roundabout, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. at like at like our big three hallway intersection probably the biggest part of the school because i graduated with like hallway 60 people so you know how like like a hallway like like a walking roundabout yeah w the dumbest thing that school has ever done they just put a barrel in the middle of like this three-way intersection kind of and dude no one followed it because it's a bunch of high school kids it's also walking yeah we <laughs> I mean, yes, I went to a very, very small school. Those hallways were still very cramped. But just the idea of sticking a barrel in the middle of the hallway only made teenagers want to just go on the other side like an asshole. Me included. Yeah. Because why are you You're doing an asshole. Yeah, that? That too. And why are you doing this? It's making no sense. It's obviously not working. Yeah. And they like had the tape on the floor and everything. It was... It was a weird week at Affleworth, to say the least. It They took it out real quick. Uh, one last thing about the roundabout that I saw. Doesn't it defeat the purpose of a roundabout if you have six stoplights in the in the process of going around the roundabout? Yeah, I don't know. Does that not just defeat the purpose? Yeah, I don't know what kind of roundabout you're talking about because this one sounds wild. I There's a roundabout real close to my house that I'm at all the time. It's a real simple one, like at the top of a hill. Mm -hmm. It's just four roads going in. Two of them are to a neighborhood, and two are just to like continue the road. Mm -hmm. But this one sounds wild. It, it it's not hard to navigate because it's pretty easy. The inside two lanes you stay on it if you want to go the whole way around. The outer two lanes is where you go if you want to make exits. But not a lot of people there understood it. I got cut off. I think in the matter of three times within the twenty five seconds that I was on this roundabout. So what is your call out? Um. I don't know if it's the if this is the first time we've had a repeat call out, but I'm calling out Hockey Troll again. Again, of course it's going to be Hockey Troll that gets the first re double call out, not double call out, but uh, callback call out, I guess. Yeah, and it's uh, not for a hockey reason. Um, you do not come at the Beatles and oh, and have yeah. me sit idly by you asshole. <laughs> you are you are entitled to your opinion. Um, of saying the Beach Boys are better. Fine, you're wrong, but... Uh... He did say the Beatles were better songwriters. He, di he did admit that. Yeah. But he said that the Beach Boys were more talented. Very false. Have you ever heard Rubber Soul? Have you ever heard Sgt. Pepper's? Um, troll, my guy. Let's have a real music discussion. I want to I wanna pick your brain on music. Um, but also, don't come with the Beatles and expect me to just sit there and not say anything. I couldn't name a single Beach Boy. Brian Wilson. I can name one. 
I can name. I can't name a single Beach Boy. I can name one. But I'm also not musically inclined. That's fair. I can only name one because I cut his cut Brian Wilson's picture out of a Rolling Stone and put it on my wall in college because I just put anything on my wall in college. It's very true. It was also a very fun picture. It was like him in like a big bathrobe carrying mm-hmm. a surfboard on the beach. I thought it was a very funny picture. Other than that, the Beach Boys. Listen, the Beach Boys are great. Don't get me wrong. They are just. There are no John, Paul, George, and Ringo. You can punch Yoko in the face. That's perfectly fine. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll agree with you on that, my guy. I don't think there's any Beatles fan in the world that wouldn't mind somebody punching Yoko and uh, Yoko Ono in the face. But I have you have you stopped to think that maybe he said this because he knew you'd get upset? Because I mentioned first that he, they're might, one of my he is the hockey troll. <laughs> because I was the first one to mention. Um, I guess I should give a uh, reference here. Um, Andrew Hammond of the Broadway Bullies, Broadway, Broad, what, what's the name of the podcast? Broadway Boys Podcast. Broadway Boys, I was right Broadway on. Boys Podcast, there you go. Um, <laughs> posted a Rolling Stone article about the Beatles breakup, and I just commented saying the Beatles one of my favorite of all time. Uh, looks like I have some light reading to do. <laughs> and I should have figured Troll's gonna come in after that. I don't know where he picked the Beach Boys from, unless he legitimately likes them, which I'm sure he does. They're, they are a great band. But uh, the Beatles are just better. They're one of the top three bands of all time because I will let two other bands argue about. Um, but you mentioned the Yoko Ono thing. This is a towel of pins that I've collected. One of them says, still mad at Yoko. <laughs> so That's hilarious. It's uh, And I found that one. I didn't even have to like, get it or anything. I found it. So, yeah, uh, the Beatles are... Uh, better than the Beach Boys, and oh, whoever the Hurricanes guy that said it from there from the Hurricanes, Zach? yeah, when he said they both suck, now we can all be mad. <laughs> I thought that was a good <laughs> comment. I enjoyed that. Uh, quick story about Yoko Ono: When me and my girlfriend Kayla we went to the Andy Warhol Museum a couple months ago for one of our anniversaries, uh, two and a half years there, there was actually a beach ball in glass that was signed by Yoko Ono to Andy Warhol, which was crazy. It wasn't a beach ball. It was actually inflatable birthday cake. So that was pretty cool. That's really cool. Yeah. I don't actually hate Yoko. I just hate what she did to the band. And honestly, the Beatles would have broken up inevitably anyway. They all kind of hated each other after a while. So there is that. It wasn't totally Yoko's fault. Did she have a hand in it? It's very possible. But now that the band's been broken up for 50 years, um, I know Paul and Ringo are cool with her now. I think George's mm-hmm. wife is cool with her. Everything's fine now because they're not trying to record music together. Yeah. They're not... Well, we all get by with a little help from our friends, Horwath. Isn't that right? Damn, now we am going to play the Beatles. <laughs> well, I guess that's going to be it for this week's episode. Any last words before we let the fans go, Horwath? Um, Happy Halloween. My hand is so sweaty from wearing this glove the entire time. <laughs> um, I'm glad we got to wear um, costumes. I had to work and couldn't really participate in Halloween stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've had this—I had to move stuff. Yeah, and I've had this chicken suit since my senior year of high school. Well, there you go, finding a purpose for it every single year. Every year. From Chicken Charlie, and from Peter Parker. That's gonna be it for episode 83.
You can follow us on Twitter at NickHorwat41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.